Welcome back to Corn Syrup, a horror podcast. I'm Tyler. And I'm Joe Rogan. Uh, I mean, Mike. Silly goose. Mike, uh, how you doing, man? The uh, fame's getting to my head, man. Uh, episodes one and two were a big hit. We made $750,000 on the last episode. So I went out and I got me a $15 pair of headphones. <laughs> I'm worried about you, man. Yep. Don't spend too much of that money, okay? Hey, guys, welcome back. We are continuing our five-part series with part three. We are counting down the Halloween, Friday the 13th, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Child's Play, and Scream Movies. If you missed part one and two, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you find your podcasts. So again, we're back. We're counting down 30 through 21. A quick announcement. We actually have a bonus episode coming out next week as well. Thank you to our followers on Twitter who helped us pick a movie. In honor of Shark Week, we wanted to review a shark movie, and Deep Blue Sea, which is actually a childhood favorite of ours, was picked, and we were pretty happy about that. So that's going to be coming out a week from today on August 12th. In the meantime, let's get back to our rankings. What do you say there, Mike? Let's go. Uh, We've done, what, 21 movies so far? we got 30 to go. Yeah, and like I said, go back and listen to listen to part one and two if you are new to the podcast. If you love slashers, you will love this podcast. So let's get into our number 30th ranked film of the six major slasher franchises. This is the prequel to the 2003 Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. It is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Beginning. And this movie was critically panned. I I don't know a whole lot of people that really like this movie. I've always liked it because I really like the 2003 remake. And frankly, I just think this is a really good companion movie. Right. It's a movie nobody asked for. We don't need a prequel to a remake. I'm glad they made it. You know, I mean, and you said that this was panned. Uh, The critics gave it a 13% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, The audience gave it a 53. So they said, screw you, critics. It's not that bad. And I think that's kind of how we feel about it. That's why we have it at 30. It's a gory movie. It's got its moments. Uh, you know, and you can, it's, not, it's not the perfect slasher movie by any means, but it's enjoyable. It's 90 minutes of fun, of kills. Mm-hmm. And why do you like this movie? Well, I think a lot of the movies in this next range we're going to be talking about, they're pretty, um, they're pretty fast-paced, and this is definitely one of them. Now, this you can make an argument that this movie borders on being a little too gory but unlike rob zombies halloween one and two i think the gore lends itself better to a texas chainsaw massacre movie and the blood and guts lends itself to leatherface more so than michael myers who michael myers is more stalking whereas leatherface is just let's just get to the action one of the cool things about this movie is there's an interesting subplot about draft dodging I think it shows that a little bit of care went into the movie. You could have easily just created characters here that were just meant to die, and ultimately they were meant to die because it's a prequel. You pretty much know that they're going to die. But they still took their time and wrote a decent little subplot with two brothers, one of them not wanting to enlist into Vietnam. And like you said, this definitely wasn't a necessary movie. Like, we didn't really need to know how no one wanted to know why sheriff hoyt came about and but the way that they managed it actually is really cool yeah. it's kind of funny too um, we definitely didn't need to know how leatherface got the chainsaw which by the way they it didn't really right it wasn't anything special anyway in the movie you didn't need to know how uncle monty lost a leg right but no one walked away from the 03 remake <laughs> like asking these questions 
And we already kind of talked about a prequel in our rankings prior, and it was Leatherface, which was a prequel to the original Texas yeah. Chainsaw. So it's a little bit confusing. There's basically two, two prequels, prequels in the series. But this is much better, and the reason I think it's better is because even though it's an origin story, it didn't dig too much into Leatherface himself, his background, because I think you would agree with me that we like our slasher villains to be a little ambiguous. Like, we don't really need to have everything spelled out for us like the way Rob Zombie did it in his Halloween remake. But you do get a little bit of background, and to me this is what makes it a good prequel. You get a little bit of background as to Arlie Ermey's character, Sheriff Who's Hoy. a great character, by the way. Yeah, I think you come to this movie for Arlie Ermey just as much as you come to see Leatherface. But you get a little bit of background into his anger and his motives. We know Leatherface was influenced by Sheriff Hoyt. But why is Hoyt so angry? And it turns out the local economy is failing. The meatpacking plant, which he um, referred to as a staple in their small, desolate Texas town, it's being overrun by hippies and bikers. So he feels he's the last of a dying breed. It, w- it was a little interesting to see a little more background on Sheriff Hoyt. I'm glad they didn't dig too much into the background of Leatherface because who the hell wants that? We don't that? need it. Exactly. Critics did hit this movie, man, and they said it's loud and gross and mean. But, you know, me and Ty are loud and gross and mean, so maybe that's why we like this movie. This movie feels, it, it looks a lot like the 2003 remake. In fact, if if you were watching it with an untrained eye, you would think Marcus Nispel, who directed the 03 remake, directed this movie too. You would think. It has a very similar feel. It does. Everything's kind of gritty, and it almost has like a green hue. It, it, it looks almost identical to the 03 remake. And again, that's why I just think it's a really good companion. And with the same actors, of course, and uh, the same actor portrayed Leatherface, uh, Andrew Bernarski. Yeah, Bernarski, I believe. We'll, we'll go with yours. And okay. this is probably the scariest Leatherface. Am I wrong? Yeah, he's the most intimidating. Uh, yeah. He's the biggest, definitely. He, there's no problem with him at all. I think he plays it very well. He, you could say he's probably the second best after Gunnar Hansen because yeah. none, none of the Leatherfaces in parts two through Next Generation stand out. Yeah, I think in short, you know, there, there's nothing groundbreaking here, but it's a very worthy prequel and a very worthy companion piece to the O3 remake. And honestly, I just think if you're a big fan of the O3 remake like we are, you have to at least like this movie to some extent. Enjoy it a little bit, right. Let's move on. Let's go to number 29. And we're going back to back here with Texas Chainsaw. We are going with Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. And oddly enough, this is the first second installment of any of these franchises that we're talking about here. So good for the direct sequels. It took us to number 29 to finally get one. Yeah. Right. This is a polarizing movie. It's become somewhat of a cult classic. There are a lot of people that hate it. There are a lot of people that love it. I happen to be somewhere in the middle. I give a lot of credit to Toby Hooper, who obviously directed the original, and he directed this one. And for me, that actually makes it a little bit better because Toby Hooper, frankly, had the balls. You know, he didn't think people wanted to see the same thing twice. Right. This came out in 1986. I mean, at that point, we had already had six Friday the 13th movies. We've had three Halloween movies and two Nightmare movies. So the trend was, you know, so so the slasher genre was kind of trending down at this point. I mean, in, in terms of a slasher movie, this movie's very average. But when you look at it as a horror comedy, it's got to be one of the best of all time, especially for when it came out. It is very funny. The, the makeup and effects are done by 
legendary makeup artist and effect artist Tom Savini. He's great. And if you're listening, Tom, we love you. (laughs) Who became known for Friday the 13th, and he kills it. There's this opening scene with the two high school kids. I guess they're in college. They're driving to the the college football game. A couple of douchebags, yeah. Yeah, a couple of of D-bags that are there just to die. So the one guy gets his scalp cut off, and Mm -hmm. there's blood spurting from it. And it, It looks scary, but it's also kind of funny. It was designed that way. Tom Savini's just... I mean, he's the he's the probably the best to ever do it from a horror perspective. Of course, yeah, he definitely is. Uh, every kill here, like, it kind of comes with his campiness. I mean, like, if someone's getting hit with a hammer for over a minute, and <laughs> and as scary as that sounds, it's still kind of like humorous in, in a way. Even like that whole scene at the uh, radio uh, station is very well done. I mean, I think we can agree that the movie kind of starts to tail off a bit after they leave the radio station. 100% agree. I've always thought this movie was tale of two stories. The opening, everything for like the first 50 to 60 minutes is a lot of fun. It's very fast paced. Especially that, with like the uh, cookout scenes. Like that's funny. Like that's, that's great. They had Drain Sawyer win a chili cook off and obviously he's using human uh, meat. And he wins every year. And then he wins <laughs> and they go, what's your secret, Drayton? And he goes, prime meat. Like you said, the radio station's really good. It's a good setting for Leatherface to take control. And obviously it's in the radio station where we're introduced to Chop Top, Bill Mosley, with probably one of the more entertaining performances of any of these 51 movies. Has to be, yeah. He uh, steals the scene. And the other thing I don't like about the when they get to the Sawyer house, it's almost like an underground bunker, by the way. Chop Top kind of becomes second fiddle to Drayton at that point, and it's just a much better movie when Chop Top is the focus. Yeah, you only get more of Chop Top really until like the final chase scene where he's chasing Stretch out mm-hmm. of the Sawyer house. I think the scenes with uh, Dennis Hopper are really uh, cool, especially when he's uh, shopping for a chainsaw. Yeah. In the store, that's really funny. He's got the big one. He's got the little one. And it's funny. I mean, it's someone that wants to fight back. He wants revenge for his family. Right. Um, and I, the first couple of times I saw this movie, I don't know if I was just too young, but I actually missed the fact that he was Sally and Franklin's uncle. Yeah. I didn't know that until somewhat recently, to be honest. Because then there's that moment in the movie where he actually finds franklin's skeleton in Mm -hmm. his wheelchair and that's actually sort of a sad moment it is um and then he just starts wreaking havoc on the sawyer house everything starts falling apart there's some really good characters in this movie chop top being the best stretch is a really good final girl dennis hopper is a badass it's a strange that this was a sequel and then they went right to part three, which kind of seems like a generic slasher movie. Like, it seems like part three should have been part two, and this should yeah. have been part three, because that's, like, the way the, the horror movie trend goes. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I, but I give Toby Hooper credit for that. Now, if this wasn't Toby Hooper, how would you feel about this movie? I think it would be slightly worse. I yeah, mean, I think I would agree. still like it, but... The fact that Toby Hooper took his baby, the original right. Texas Chainsaw one, Massacre. One of the greatest of all time. You know, he obviously had all the creative liberty in the world. Um, and he chose to do something different. That's pretty, that says a lot about Toby Hooper. It does. And it sucks because this movie bombed at the box office on a $4 million budget. It only brought in $8 million. So, you know, fans probably at the time were saying, what the hell is this? You know, this isn't Leatherface, this isn't Texas Chainsaw. But you look back at it and you kind of see what they were trying to do. And it's way ahead of its time. So kudos to Toby Hooper. Thank you to Bill Mosley for you know helping form a fantastic character in Chop Top. We were very back and forth on whether or not we wanted to have this ranked ahead of the beginning because honestly we like them both. So we just decided to make them both let's back go to back. Let's go back to back. Yeah. yeah. Why not? And with that being said, let's move on to number twenty-eight. 
we are back into the Friday the 13th franchise with part three. And I want you to give me your thoughts on this movie because you've, you've long been an advocate for this movie. The first eight minutes of this movie is just a repeat yeah. of, you know, part two. And then you got the three minute um, opening credits. So that's 11 minutes right there in a 90 minute movie. I think I agree with you, Ty. I think you were right about this movie the whole time. I I, I like this movie because Jason gets his mask finally. Mm-hmm. And I like Jason played by Richard Brooker. Rest in peace. Yeah. Ted White took a lot from this Jason in part three. And I think, and if you, and Ty knows that I am very big on Ted White's Jason in part four. Because I, I didn't think the part two Jason was all that memorable. So I think Richard Brooker did a great job at that. To me, this is just such an 80s slasher movie. And I think that's that's one of my favorite genres ever. I think the opening scene with Harold and Nenna is okay. It's, you know, it's better than most openings in Friday the 13th, in my opinion. The uh, teenagers are uh, forgettable. This is a, uh, like a, forget- a forgettable Friday the 13th movie, in my opinion. But at the end of the day, it's still Friday the 13th, man. You still get a bunch of teenagers there for no reason, and they get killed. Man. Hey, I'm with you on that, because I do like this movie. I just always thought that... It wasn't on the level of some other sequels that we're going to be talking about. You mentioned the opening scene with Edna and Harold. I actually really like that scene. Jason is very stalkerish mm-hmm. in that scene. It almost feels more like Michael Myers. And Jason does feel very human in this movie, which, again, I think what you referenced about Ted White, I completely mm-hmm. agree with you that Ted White took this Jason and just made a better one. He's but th- but this was sort of the template. For, for Ted White's Jason, again, the characters, I think, is really where this movie falls off. Some of the effects are pretty hokey. The 3D is hokey. When Rick dies, when he gets the his... The eyes, man. Yeah, I, I knew you were going to go there. Uh, I'm sorry, man. I had to do it. Honestly, that, that bumps the movie down a couple notches for me. Yeah, 3D in this movie is very corny, but we're also talking about 1982 here. Yeah. Just going back to the characters, I do agree with you. Like, the biker gang is very, like, uh, Disney Channel. You know, like, it seems like you're watching, like, a Disney Channel movie when you see this intimidating biker gang. Like, I, n- I never liked the bikers, but tell me what you think about Shelly. I like Shelly, man. I mean, you know, if it wasn't for him, there would be no hockey mask. He's, you know, he's mm-hmm. uh, the goofball. I do think that he uh, warranted a better death than some off-screen... Uh, slit throat but that's kind of what his character was all about though is the gags and you know faking his death to scare other people and then finally when he walks into the house with the slit throat they're like all right shelly cut it off yeah i agree with you on shelly like he's i think he's a good character man yeah and if you play the uh, game uh friday the 13th on playstation 4 there's a character that is dedicated to him He's definitely a classic Friday 13th character. He He's really the only memorable character in this movie. He is. Uh, other things I like about this movie, for the most part, it's a it's a pretty cookie-cutter Friday the 13th. And I actually don't even really mean that in a bad it's way. A it just is what it is. Middle of the road Friday the 13th movie. But... Things I like about it, it has that classic Friday the 13th feel, setting, and score. I love that vintage Friday the 13th feel. Mm-hmm. To me, it's just, it's just so much nostalgia comes pouring back whenever i watch this movie i love that it's just a familiar feeling that i've always loved 
the two kills in this movie I really love. When he hits her with the arrow and he just casually turns around and like slumps so, back. So lackadaisical. So yeah. it's, it's kind of weird, but I like it. <laughs> right. Um, and also the, the handstand kill where the guy's walking on his yeah. hands and Jason basically just takes a machete to his crotch. I'm pretty sure that actor was cast just because he can do that. Like that wasn't written or anything, but I... I'm pretty sure I read he walked into like an audition yeah. like that. And they're like, all right, well, I think we can make this work somehow. <laughs> but yeah, it's very well shot when he does go right through his crotch with it. Yeah. With the, with the some really machete. Me- some really mean effects with that kill. But one more thing I really like about this movie is the end where the final girl, uh, Chris, is on the boat. And she sees Jason Richard Brooker in the window. And then he runs down and he takes the door off the hinges. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's such a good scene. Um, I do want to give a shout out to Steve Miner. He yeah. directed part two and part three. And one of our favorite sequels of Halloween, Halloween H2O. Hell and yeah. it was actually his um, idea to go with the hockey mask. Yeah, producers wanted to, st- to stick with the burlap sack. So I don't know if there's a horror hall of fame, and I don't know if he would exactly be in it, but he would definitely get some votes, especially my vote, to be into the horror hall of fame. So Man. kudos to Steve Miner. And he's a very underrated, unsung slasher right. guy, man. That That's huge. And the fact that the hockey mask was his idea could maybe put him in the hall of fame just with that. Absolutely. Moving on with number 27 in our rankings is the third installment of the Child's Play franchise. It is Child's Play 3. You know, I've, I've always looked at it as though there's an Andy Barkley trilogy, and this is, this is the last of that trilogy. There's not a whole lot different here from the original Child's Play and Child's Play 2. The one glaring difference, well, there's two glaring differences. Alex Vincent did not return to play Andy Barkley. Because he his, was still like nine years old. Right. Exactly. He goes to military schools. Well, yeah, I never understood that about this movie. So it's it's actually supposed to take place eight years later, but it actually came out one year after right. Child's Play 2. I don't know. I think they could have done something different there. Kind of silly, yeah. But yeah, so Justin Whalen plays Andy Barkley, and obviously the military setting is a lot different than your normal Chicago urban setting. What do you think about this movie? No, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it would have been silly to have... Sweet little Andy Barkley at uh, military school, so they kind of had to, you know, yeah. fast forward a little bit. It's a good movie. It's um, a little silly. So not the very beginning scene, but the scene where Sullivan dies, who's like the shot caller for mm-hmm. the for the good guy company. Tucky. I love I love that opening scene in his sky rise Chicago office with all the toys coming at him. He slips on the marbles, and Chucky ultimately kills him. But it's a very suspenseful scene. It actually really sets the tone for this movie. And even though I really like the military setting it kind of made me wish that the movie stayed in chicago right because <laughs> exactly. I, I just i love the urban setting because think about it like scream nightmare on elm street halloween they all take place in suburbs almost always the midwest texas chainsaw massacre is like the backwoods redneck texas friday the 13th takes place at a camp so child's play is actually the only franchise for the first two installments anyway that take place in an urban setting and I really like that. I really like that, too. I mean, and you see it in the um, original. I mean, because Charles Lee Ray was that kind of guy. He hung out in the slums, and he was right. a murderer. So that's why it took place where it did. So I kind of miss that about this movie, even though I don't think the military setting is bad, and I understand that they needed to at least try to do something different. There's some really good one-liners in this movie. I mean, some of Chucky's best one-liners. 
his one-liners are really good in this movie, and I think that's why we have it ranked where it's at, because this is kind of like a vintage Chucky. The Chucky you get in this movie is not that much different than the Chucky you get in part two, which is basically, it's like Brad Dorff unhinged. Right. And, you know, they, they and just... that's what we want. <laughs> that's exactly what we want. So, like, overall, I, I don't have a whole lot of issues with this movie, other than it, you could get a sense of the staleness that the franchise was starting to gather at this time. And even Don Mancini himself said this was his least favorite. Jack Bender, the director, coincidentally enough, you called this movie a little silly. Jack Bender, the director, actually called this a pretty silly movie. Right, and of course it has to be. I mean, I... I also don't think it takes itself so seriously. I mean, yeah, it's not on the level of Bride of Chucky and Seed of Chucky, but this franchise was definitely trending towards that way by the end of this movie. Like, after this movie, you kind of thought, okay, now it definitely has to do something different. Yeah, Mancini said he ran out of ideas for this movie, but compared to some of the other third installments that we've talked about, like Texas Chainsaw 3 or Scream 3, this is a lot fresher than those two, at the very least. And I think the scene where uh, Chucky switches out the paintballs with the bullets, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense because you just can't put bullets in paintball guns, but that's for another day. That's like suspenseful stuff. Uh, You know, I remember watching that scene just thinking, oh, okay, this is going to be interesting. I I don't think Mancini gave gave himself enough credit for this movie, or I don't think Jack Bender, the director, gave himself enough credit either because I actually think there's some really good characters in this movie too. Tyler, although he's not the best actor in the world who right. portrayed him. It's a very good character. I get it. You know, and it's I kind under- of like the Andy replacement. Yeah, and Andy becomes protective of him, which you would expect. Like that's mm-hmm. a pretty natural character arc that yeah. I can appreciate. Yeah, it's, it's it's very easy to shit on this movie. And I don't know why. It does seem to be an easy target. I don't know. The critics I, gave it twenty nine, the audience gave it a thirty three on Rotten Tomatoes, so but I I never saw it with this movie. I've always enjoyed this movie from the first time I saw it. I think it's a very good child's play movie. And going back to the characters, De Silva, who's Andy's love interest, Whitehurst, who is his bunkmate, Shelton, who basically plays the bully, like they're all believable and memorable characters. I agree. Hundred percent. And going back, even though this isn't even close to being as good as one or two, to me they all go hand in hand in hand. Like of I, I totally appreciate this movie for what it is, even though there's a clear dip in quality here. But let's move on to our number twenty-six. We are staying in the same franchise, and we are going to a much different child's play movie. It's the next sequel, but so totally different. Than anything you could expect from Child's Play 3. Right. It's Bride of Chucky. It came out in 98. Obviously, it's at the height of the super meta shift in slasher movies right. that... That Scream. That, that Scream really kicked off successfully. Right. Now, this is, this is a really good movie. Now, if you're a fan of the OG, scary Chucky, you probably don't like this movie as much as you and I like it, Mike. Agreed. But... I actually think that this was a very proactive approach to the concept of Chucky because like I said prior the third installment you did it did start to feel a little bit stale and prolonged and so I think they did a good thing here by jumping feet first into the the comedy aspect and obviously they did an incredible thing by introducing Jennifer Tilly into the franchise yeah she's one of the best in this franchise she's definitely the bright spot of this movie i wouldn't say the bright spot but she's one of the bright spots of this movie you mentioned jumping feet first i mean if you're going to go with an idea like this 
just go all out. And I feel like that's what this movie did. I mean, you have a sex scene with, with dolls, for Christ's sake. And personally, I love it. I mean, like, why not? This <laughs> it's movie, a horror comedy. Yeah. It, but this movie, I will say, it always kind of left me wanting more actual Jennifer Tilly before she turns into Tiffany. Right, I think you only get about 25 minutes to a half hour of her. But yeah, the, the scene where she does become Tiffany is great in the bathtub. Mm-hmm. And there's still some really good kills in this movie. Damien, who's played by Alexis Arquette. Great death scene. I, I think it's a good way to uh, bring back Chucky too, because yeah. he hasn't had a kill yet. And, like You're just waiting for it, because like, you know it's going to happen. It's a really good scene. One of my favorite kills in this entire franchise is the waterbed kill. Kill, mm-hmm. where the couple when they're in that sleazy motel and the, and the couple is, is laying they're laying in bed and tiffany throws the champagne bottle up into the glass ceiling right. and the glass comes down and chucky yeah. takes the ring off her decapitated hand by the way did you ever realize that that scene was basically replicated and cold in chucky cold? i was just gonna bring that up dude so yeah. like i think i don't know what cold chucky was trying to pay homage or man that was don i mean you too. can't rip it off if it's the same franchise i guess right do, but do, do better don but if you listen to our last episode we're not very fond of cold of chucky this is where Chucky becomes funny, and when I say funny, I mean he's genuinely funny in this movie. He actually has lines, because yeah. we talked about in part three where he has the one-liners, yeah. but he's actually the main character in this movie, and that's you know that's why they dropped the child's play and actually put Chucky in the title now. I think this is a great example of knowing when to switch to campiness. Right, and like the late 90s were like the like perfect time to do that, because they saw, you know, Scream is obviously one of the best horror films of all time but it's very funny and self-aware just like this movie is because picture this the fourth installment of child's play went in the same direction as the first three or it went back to chicago even oh man by then you would have really been beating a dead horse right there's no mention of andy barkley and i and i think we were andy barkley out, you know yeah and like you said chucky had actual lines in this movie and they're good that's the most important part they're very good where the movie falters a little bit there's a lot of bickering between the 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 antagonist the girl the girl played by katherine heigl uh the guy his name is somebody it doesn't really make any sense they both suspect each other to be killers and yet they just stay together and they and they're driving together yeah we're hoping that like this would get that they would just die off at some point and like this would just be a Chucky and Tiffany movie but mm-hmm. like you're just kind of stuck with these characters for the whole movie. I said in the beginning a lot of these movies in these rankings that we're talking about today are fast paced. This is another one. This is just non-stop. If it's not comedy, it's action. You know, right. it, it, it's just non-stop. It's, it's a hell of a good time directed by Ronnie Yu and I think that's a good segue. It's Should a we move perfect on? segue. Well yeah. done. We're, we're getting good with these segues, man. You are. You are. <laughs> All right, we're moving on to number 25, and we are talking about another movie directed by Ronnie Yu, which kudos to him, man. He's got uh, two movies here in our top 30. This is Freddy vs. Jason. This is a movie for me that is just seeped in nostalgia. My mom, God bless her, actually took me to see this movie. In, in the first five or ten minutes, she's probably thinking, oh my God. Yeah, I think she, I think she closed her eyes and took a nap. But she kept you in that theater, so props to Mrs. Sablick there. This is a movie I think I liked a little bit more when I was a kid. I still like it, don't get me wrong. I loved this movie when I was a kid. Of course. I got a little bit older, and I did realize that there's a lot of faults within the movie. But let's 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 first start out with what we like about it because it is our number top. T- you know, it is our number twenty-five film. Obviously, what we like about it is you get Freddy Krueger and Jason 
in the same movie. This was a long-awaited film. It was teased at the end of Jason Goes to Hell. What year was Jason Goes to Hell? 1993, I think. So we I had think, a ten. So we waited ten years for this movie. To be honest with you, I think it was worth the wait. Overall, this is a good movie. It's a lot of fun. Like I don't look at horror movies so much as epic, but I think this was an epic movie. The ending is definitely epic. The the uh, fight scene. There's nothing I would have changed about that fight scene with uh, Freddy vs. Jason. It's just so much gore, man. I mean, and one scene that sticks out to me is when Freddy has Jason down on the ground and he stabs him right through his eyes with his glove. Like, that's mm. the blood. There's so much blood and gore in that final scene, man. It's, well, into that fight. Let's get back. Let's, let's keep talking about that final scene because, honestly, I think it's worth kicking off what we like about this movie i mean seriously it's that's kind of what we waited for i mean it's in the title of the movie so in that final scene jason loses his fingers he's stabbed in the eyes he's stabbed through the heart freddie's arm is ripped off he gets decapitated by our final girl (laughs) it's just non-stop action and blood i will say this the gore almost feels a little bit out of place it it almost feels more like uh you know rob zombie halloween or marcus nispel texas chainsaw massacre it does but i'm not complaining because it's a lot of fun that ending scene, that epic scene alone was worth the wait. Jason's first kill, well, not his first kill, but one of his first kills in this movie is when he kills Trey, the douchebag. Great scene. Oh, my God. It's, it's a it's great one, death. It's one of my favorite Jason kills where he stabs the guy through the mattress relentlessly and then folds the mattress. That's, yeah. And, and Trey is left there, like, shaking his beer can as he, as he, ha- as he clings to life. Things I don't like about this movie. Can I yes. just preface on that Go. scene with Trey? And then it just cuts right to kind of a crappy death scene with mark and his father really bad bad acting too like bad acting bad bad writing where the father's just like hey so i know your best your best friend was just killed but why the hell were you at that party yeah how dare you drink a beer how dare you drink what what were you drinking not even just killed but brutally murdered like <laughs> yeah. in the worst way possible like and the murderer is is free like like they didn't catch him or anything it was always so stupid <laughs> This movie is filled with unevenness, and again, for the most part, I like it. But I think if you take Jason out of this movie, it's a, it feels more like a, a Nightmare on Elm Street movie because Freddy is really like the driving force behind the plot. But even I, though Jason kind of gets like the body count in this movie, it still feels like Jason, or it still feels like a Freddy movie. And I agree with you on that. And that's the thing: if you take Jason out of it, this is actually a really bad nightmare. You're left with a really bad Nightmare on Elm Street movie. And mostly because of the characters. This movie takes place on Elm Street. I mean, the the main character literally lives in in the Nightmare House. So um, that's one thing why we don't like this movie. The characters are very poorly written. I wish we saw more originality with the concept of trying to defeat Freddy. Because it's the same rehashed shit where they're trying to bring him in from the dream world into, into reality. World. I think with this, it makes a little more sense, though, because you try and bring him into this world so that Jason can kill him. So let's get into the worst part of this movie. And for me, it's pretty obvious that it's a lack of Kane Hodder. Instead of Kane Hodder coming in Your boy, put, Kane Hodder. Uh, I mean, I love Kane Hodder. Do you not love Kane Hodder? Uh, of course I love Kane. How could you not if you're a Friday fan? But the director, Ronnie Yu... And I just sung his praises. I'm about to criticize him a little bit here. He wanted somebody taller than Kane Hodder. Kane Hodder was very upset about not being included in this movie. As a Friday the 13th fan, it's hard to not be disappointed that he wasn't in this film. Because honestly, think about having Kane Hodder versus Robert Englund. And it's not just a sentimental thing. Ken Kurzinger, who played Jason in this movie, 
he's a little more robotic. He's right. not. He's clearly not as he has agile. No personality. Yeah. No personality. He's yeah. Ne- yeah. He's six foot five, and Kane Hunter is six foot two. But in the grand scheme of things, are you really thinking about that when you're watching Jason? How did Ronnie Yu not stop and think? Oh, Friday the Thirteenth fans need Kane Hodder in this. Especially movie. when Jason Goes to Hell ended, you know, on that cliffhanger that we're gonna get this movie of Freddy vs. Jason, and Kane Hodder was Jason in the last three Friday the Thirteenth movies. This movie's not perfect for the most part. The characters are not good. Again, we don't and get like Kane the kung fu fighting in this movie. You know, like you yeah. gotta get the effects of. It just doesn't hit it for me. And again, I mean, they committed probably the mortal sin for me by not having Kane Hodder play Jason because if we could have had Kane Hodder versus Robert Englund, this is this might be cracking the top twenty. Oh, I agree one hundred percent. Yeah, that's that's what the fans wanted too. So I'm so I'm sure when that was announced, I mean, we were twelve years old when this movie came out, so I'm sure we weren't into like the news of of this movie. Right. But that had to be like an uproar when that was announced. But really, overall, I mean. You know, if we're looking at it in a positive light, we're probably very fortunate to have this movie. At the end of the day, we did get a Freddy versus Jason movie. And you got a badass fight scene with those two, and I guess that's all you can really ask for. For sure. That being said, man, let's move on to number 24. This is one I've been looking forward to talking about. Because this is a misunderstood movie. By my accounts, it's a very, it's a highly underrated movie. I love it as a direct sequel to the original. I look at it in a similar vein as Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, which really went out on a limb and tried to do something different. This is A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. There are a lot of differences from this versus the original, but the one thing that is similar is Freddy Krueger in this movie is very, very scary. This is Robert England at his scariest. I'm not going to say it's him as best. This is the scariest Freddy Krueger. He's Great. not he's not funny in this movie, but he's just evil. He's very evil, and he looks good. He's dripping he in looks, sweat. Mm-hmm. There's a perspiration to his skin that really adds to the terror. And on top of that... It's definitely his best look, I agree. It's his best look by far. And I actually think this is the best incorporation of the Nightmare on Elm Street house, the Elm Street house. There, there's something wrong with the air conditioning, and, you know, there's hints that it's being controlled by Freddy himself, that there's an evil in the house. This movie almost feels like half Freddy Krueger, half haunted house. Right. At one point, the house is 97 degrees. There's no, the air conditioning is not working. I actually think the Elm Street house in this film acts as a companion antagonist to Freddy Krueger. It's almost like a villain in itself. Because the Elm Street house is so well known in like the franchise, but it never really serves a purpose. It's just always a house. In this movie, it's actually a companion. Yeah, with Freddy. Yeah, it's perfect. Let's let's get into the the criticisms of this movie. I I I was going to ask you why do you think this movie is so not well liked i mean like when you think about the nightmare sequels the best nightmare sequels this never really is brought up but for me and you we've always enjoyed this movie well you know it's a polarizing film and i think so this is often considered to be the gayest horror movie of all time right and it probably is i could see why that was viewed in a negative back in 1985 when it first came out especially as a direct sequel to the original but over time, I actually think this movie has aged very well. Yes, it's and- way ahead of its time. I mean, now, this type of movie would, would come out because it's trendy. 
This movie came yeah. out 35 years ago. Look, we could do a whole podcast about this movie. We, we could agree. probably do a two-part series about this pod, about this movie. So there's no final girl per se. Mark Patton, who plays Jesse, basically takes the place as your final girl. Right. And again, he's they don't come out and say that he's gay, but it's very heavily hinted at through his actions, his character development, his, his friendships, his right. motions, his friendships, relationships, everything. Mark Patton does not look back fondly onto this movie. He thinks the director, Jack... Who, who is gay in real life, Mark Patton is gay. But he was closeted at this point. Right. And only a select number of people knew that he was a gay man, including the filmmakers. So Jack Shoulder, who directed it... And David Chaskin, who was the head screenwriter, knew that he was gay. Mark Patton thinks that they manipulated him and used him. And as a result, Mark Patton believes he was then typecasted as a gay man throughout Hollywood. And he ultimately quit acting altogether because of the emotional strain that was put on him because of that. That's difficult. And I don't want to get too much into that because that's a subject I'm just... I'm just not educated enough right. to, to, to even speak on that. But if I can just go back to the movie, him being a gay man in this movie, a closeted gay man who is obviously burdened by his sexuality, I think it plays... Yet still tormented by Freddy Krueger. Yeah, and but the thing is, Freddy Krueger kind of acts That's, as a metaphor right. to his internal emotions that he's constantly struggling with. I love the character Lisa who plays his love interest in the movie. I think the writers could have made Lisa a snobby character just based on the struggles that Jesse, played by Mark Patton, was was dealing with. She could have been judgmental and bitchy toward his emotions, but instead she was actually super supportive. She was. And I love that character. I love the character Grady, who plays his friend and Let's be honest, that's that's really who Jesse has a real love interest right. in, is his friend Grady. And Grady, it's a tough, like, a death scene with Grady, too. It's like, an you unbelievable. See that, it's one it's, of the best in, in the franchise, in my opinion. For sure. Freddy emerges from Jesse. He sheds Jesse like, like he's snakeskin or right. something. It's a brutal death. Grady's parents are on the other side of the door, mm -hmm. basically watching it happen and listening to it happen. And, and to see where they start from the start of the movie, where he was bullying him to death, to where he was sleeping with him. You know, he was not sleeping with him, but he they were having like a sleepover, and like they became friends. He gravitated toward Grady in a time of trouble. Right. So this movie, you know, when it came out, there were undertones of it being a gay film. Looking back on it, the sexuality surrounding the film, they kind of actually beat you over the head with it. There's nothing, there's no undertone about it. And it yeah. It's very obvious. Yeah. When it came out in 85, I could see why people maybe, you know, it, it wouldn't have been an, as obvious back then. But I think it works for the movie, man. I, I think Jesse's, Jesse's a fantastic character. In fact, Jesse, Lisa, and Grady, other than... Uh, Nancy Thompson and the Dream Warriors from yeah, Part Three. Dream Warriors, they're, yeah. they're three of my favorite nightmare characters. That's why the first three uh, nightmare movies are so great because of the characters. But in Part Two, it's like you got three of them in one movie that we really like and we and we actually care about. You know, it's not just characters that we want to see die or have some cool deaths. No, like, you want to see them live. Them. For a movie that gets shit on a lot, I don't get it, man. I don't get it, man. This is a good movie. I mean the. Critics gave it a 43 on Rotten Tomatoes, and the audience gave it a 33. 
that just boggles my mind. I know it boggles your mind too, because you get a genuinely scary Freddy. You get a very interesting concept, and not to mention, it's only the second movie too of the franchise. You know, like like they could have easily just went back to like a Nancy Thompson storyline or something. This they just went different, and I think they hit the nail on the head. And how many more memorable scenes in this franchise are there than Freddy slaughtering people at, at a, a swimming pool party? Pool party? Right. Come on, man. There what is there to, really, what no. is there to not like about this movie? I know You're it takes all my children now. And how about when Freddie and Jesse basically become one? It's Jesse's voice speaking from Freddie's body mm-hmm. and he says, "I love you, Lisa." Right. Like how how good is that? I don't know what there's not to not like about this movie. I really don't have any complaints about this movie. I mean, we're into our final 24 movies now. I think we almost love every movie that we're going to talk about from here on out. Let's move on to number 23. Man, we're back in uh we're into re- make territory we are talking about the most recent film of all these 51 films we are talking about child's play this is a movie that you and i both saw this in theaters yes i forgot how much i liked this movie until i went back and watched it just last night right and there are so many good things about this movie that i thoroughly enjoyed let's get the obvious out of the way this movie probably didn't have to be a child's play movie. I think Don Man so Don Mancini didn't own the rights. The production company owned the rights, and that's basically a roundabout way of how we got here. Don Mancini was asked to be some sort of producer, and right, he turned to it get down. some money. Yeah, exactly. He was not happy with this idea, but it would essentially just been his name in the credits, and he didn't have any he didn't have any decision making abilities or anything like mm-hmm. that. So he turned it down. But that aside, it, it, it's easy to feel as a Child's Play fan, betrayed by this movie because of the betrayal that Don Mancini felt. But if you can just go into this movie with an opened mind, this is a damn good movie. It's a modern-day horror movie, really, where uh, technology just takes control. You know, I think the worst thing that they could have done with this movie was hire some Brad Dorff knockoff to try and be Chucky and Charles Lee Ray. And they don't do that with this movie. This is a well-done remake because they don't try to insult, I, I guess, the uh, Child's Play movie. You know, it's something completely different. It's it's a robot. It's not Charles Lee Ray. A modern reimagining, for me, in this particular circumstance, makes for a very good remake because you don't want the same thing. Look at right. 2010's Nightmare on Elm Street. It's the same thing. You don't want that. That's no. bullshit. That's cheap. It's a cash grab. This didn't feel like a cash grab. It didn't. It it felt like the filmmakers really had something new to add to an original take. Um, Aubrey Plaza in this movie, I love her. I think she plays a really good single mom. Right. I would argue that her relationship with Gabriel Bateman in this movie is actually better than what you see in the original Child's Play with Karen and Andy. Just because Andy is a little bit more He's a little older in this film, so, you know, you get a more intimate mother and son relationship. Right, and the uh, cast of this movie, is really, I think the acting is really good. Uh, you got the dude that looks like Jack Black. That was a good death scene. I, I enjoyed that. The I Creeper. Think, I think the uh, death uh, scene with Shane was really good. Fantastic. That's a great, um, it's like very creepy because like Chucky's not very strong in this movie. So when you stab somebody, like he's not going to kill you. And that's kind of what makes it scary. Like he's he's very like a tactical and smart. He uses technology to his advantage in this movie. 
I love that. I love Shane's death. And you spoke some. You said something about the casting in this film. It was well done because whoever played Shane, I don't have his name. I apologize, but he played a really convincing jerk off. Right. Uh, so he did a good job. Brian Tyree Henry, who very random by the way that he's in this. Brian Tyree Henry. Yeah, because yeah, he's he, a great actor. He's a great actor. I love him in ATL, which is um, a, a really good show on FX, but he's really good in this. Um, he is. You know, they casted him as a detective, and I think it's kind of cool because he doesn't look like your stereotypical detective. Right. You know, he's like a younger black man, and I think that's cool. I think he plays it yeah, well. He does play it well. And I love the relationship with him and his mother. Yeah. Like, he, I don't know if he still lives with his mother. Like, is that what they're trying to hint at? That he's just yeah. a mama's boy, too. So love, the death of his mom really hits home, you know? Like, like, it hurts to watch that scene. I mean, she's someone you really, really root for. Yeah, like the sweet old lady next door. Brian Tyree Henry, his name is Mike Norris. His relationship with his mom, like you said, but also his relationship with Andy, who he kind of acts as a big brother type. Mm-hmm. I think this movie has a lot of heart. You know, Andy's relationship with his mother, Mike Norris's relationship with his mother, Mike Norris's relationship with Andy. You almost even feel for Chucky when they disable him and throw him into the garbage. Right. This movie just really knows how to pull on your heart a little bit, and it hits all of the right emotions. It's just firing on all cylinders, this movie. I think when you see Chucky, uh, he's watching the the kids. I think they're watching uh, Texas Chainsaw 2, actually. Yeah. And they're all laughing at it. So he um, interprets this as, oh, so this is funny, and they will like this. He grabs a knife, and he tries to attack him. Yeah. And then they yell at him, and you feel for Chucky. Another thing I love about this movie is they, for the most part, there was a little bit of CGI involved, but Mm -hmm. 95% of it was real animatronics. And I loved that they stayed faithful to the original Child's Play. Yeah. Because by by choosing to go that real practical effect animatronic route, to me, that that's an ode to the original. I, I mean, I think they took an original and they just modernized it with a mix of different unique modern ideas. Right. A modern plot, modern actors that, you know, if you watch Parks and Rec, then yeah. you're a fan of Aubrey Plaza. Some excellent kills. Some excellent Great kills, yeah. By the way, the director, Lars Klevberg, I mean, this this guy doesn't even have a Wikipedia. Somebody get this guy a Wikipedia. Really? He's, he only directed one feature film before this, and it actually came out the same year, 2019. It's called Polaroid, and it's actually on Netflix. I have not seen it, but he has expressed interest in making a sequel, and it did good enough at the box office. I mean, it was a uh, low-budget movie. It was made at $10 million. It brought in 44 at the box office. It got a 63 on Rotten Tomatoes from the critics, uh, 57 from the audience. The fact that critics gave it a 63, I mean, I think that's kind of telling, too, of what this movie was trying to do, and I think it accomplished it. By the way, let's talk about, real quick, before we stop talking about this movie, we, we need to mention Mark Hamill, who I fell in love with as the voice of Joker in Batman, the, the animated, animated series. series. Now, it's he- tremendous set, yeah. Don't compare him to Brad Dorf because a Brad Dorf is Brad Dorf. He he's yeah. spectacular he, he's, as Chucky. He's Chucky. But also, this is not a human taking over the body of a doll. This is an actual robot. Right. So I think Mark Hamill is successful in gearing his voice in an entertaining way, but also in a way that lends itself to an actual robot. Right. He's he's fantastic as uh, this version of Chucky. Because it's not Chucky. This is the 2019 Chucky. Agreed. It's not Charles Lee Ray. He does it in a way that's not disrespectful to Brad Dorff's 
Chucky at all. I think he nailed it. Moving on to number 22 on our list is, and man, is there a big gap between the last installment versus this one. This is Scream 4, and all I gotta say is welcome back, Wes Craven. This was his last movie, actually. It was a good farewell movie for him because uh, we enjoy this movie a lot, especially because you can't end with Scream 3. Scream 3 was such big pile of shit. Scream 4 kind of brought the franchise back in a way. You know, the, the fans wanted, you know, it goes back to the high school route that we wanted that that, that we saw in uh, the original and kind of in part two. I think part two is more college, but couldn't have ended with part three with how bad that movie was with such a good franchise. Man, part three had just awful characters for the most part. This movie has really good characters. I really buy Emma Roberts as A, a high school student, but also Nev Campbell's cousin. That feels like a real natural relationship. It does. And then I also buy her as a pretty interesting ghost face reveal. I mean, I like it all. I like all the characters. I like Rory Culkin as Charlie as the other ghost face reveal. I mean, right. I, I like all of these characters. This movie is, I will say, it's very, very meta. Like, there's several references to other slasher franchises. But I actually think by the fourth installment, it actually makes sense to lean so heavily into the meta and the campiness. Right. Because this... Let's be honest, this franchise was built on that concept. It was. I mean, uh, part two focused on the sequels. Part three was the trilogies. Uh, Part four is all about the uh, remakes. I think they do a good job at that. I mean, it definitely, because you lost that in part three, where they don't even, like, mention any horror movies. It's really, the the only time they do is when they mention uh, Stab, like, the Stab movies that they're making. The thing is, part three almost became what, parts one and two were, we're mocking. making fun. right exactly and scream four really gets back to the basics mm-hmm. as to what this franchise was built on and there's some really cool character arcs in this movie too gail weathers is still writing but she's trying to write a fiction novel and she's she's Damn. battling writer's block and you have sydney prescott coming back to springwood and she's rightfully cashing in and writing, I guess, what you would call like a self-help nonfiction right. book. And as and as a viewer, that kind of makes you think that she's a suspect. Yeah. Gail Weathers' character, you know, to be a possible ghost face. And there's so many good kills in this movie, too. I love Olivia's kill. There's some really good suspense with the closets. Right. When, when Ghostface says he's in the closet, but really he's in the closet across closet. the street. Right. And then he kills Olivia, and he hangs her body out the window for her friends to see. There's just so many good uh, scenes in this movie. There's a lot of good characters, like I said. Sydney, I love her relationship. By the way, I just love Nev Campbell, and I love Sydney Prescott. I will welcome any movie that is putting Sydney Prescott right. on the I think screen. we'll try and talk about her more when, when we get to Scream 1. Yeah, I don't want to yeah, get carried away. But, but I love her relationship I, with Emma Roberts in this movie because... A protective sister, in a way. Like, I, I know it's her cousin, but... Right, but there's good... She kind of sees herself um, a little bit. Exactly. And there, there's really good development because they... Emma Roberts, her name is Jill in the movie. She admits at the beginning of the movie that she doesn't really know her cousin that well. When they're going through an attack and Ghostface is coming to kill them and that, you know, new recent murders have popped up in Springwood, Sydney Prescott becomes the, the motherly type and she starts to look over Jill. And it's just an understandable, like, it just feels very real to me. Right. And then, of course, when you find out that Jill is actually the killer, it's kind of like, oh, okay, damn. And I honestly didn't see it coming. No. So it was a good swerve. But 
one thing about that though, uh, about her being the uh, killer, is that mm-hmm. Nev Campbell, or so Cindy Prescott's brother was the killer, half brother was the killer in Scream Three, and now her cousin is the killer in Scream Four. I'm starting to think that Sydney has a really shitty family. <laughs> Do you know what? I didn't even think about that because I kind of blocked Scream I think, 3 And I think mind. that's what this movie does too is they kind of just say, all right, Scream 3 actually never really happened, so we, so, so we can go back to the family route if we want to. Man, I also really like how this movie comes full circle. The motives behind the ghost face kills in this movie from Jill and Charlie, they're basically recreating the original. Right. And I think that's I think that's awesome. Because this is a remake. This movie knew they were in the remake, and I love that aspect of this. This movie has just always felt like Wes Craven knew what we wanted as Scream fans, and he freaking delivered. He bounced back big time from Scream 3. Kevin Williamson, who wrote 1, 2... And return for this movie. Now, definitely tell. Now, that. notice I said I didn't say he wrote part three, so that's that's a telltale sign right there. Right. Kevin Williamson is obviously a very good writer, and obviously Wes Craven's right hand man in these films. So this movie is also it's modernized a little bit in the sense that you know we just got done talking about the Child's Play remake. This movie is modernized a little bit. There's an internet aspect to it. There's a social media aspect to it. They referenced Twitter a couple times, which this movie was made in 2011. Right, so when they bring up Twitter from a movie from 10 years ago, they're like, oh, well done. And that's right. (laughs) Because they they could have easily gone with MySpace or something like that didn't age well. And the thing is, you know, we were freshmen in college in 2010, and I just, I remember that's when Twitter was just taking off. This movie does really well is that it just sticks with the same formula. I don't think it tries to do anything too cute like Scream 3 did, but you're just back in like the high school surroundings and it just feels, it just feels like you're back at Scream 1 and 2 again. It, yeah, exactly. It gets back to the basics and it just, if you fell in love with Scream 1 and Scream 2, this movie just feels like home. That being said, man, let's move on to our final film of these rankings. Number 21, we're at another remake. We're at the Friday the 13th remake, which came out in 2009, directed by Marcus Nispel, who also directed the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. I wouldn't call it a recreation of the original, but it, it's almost like a recreation more so of Jason Voorhees. Of the franchise. Right. This could have easily been a sequel, and I'm kind of mad that they didn't just make it a sequel, because I feel like if this were just... Flat out sequel to the original franchise. This would have been a lot better. Really, no need to make this a remake. Like, I guess sure. just for the money, yeah. just to keep that title. You gotta do what you gotta do to make some money, I guess. This movie has fantastic kills. It does. It's can, can I mention one thing too? Um, sure, you can. There's there's a lot of people that watch slasher movies just for the sex. And if that's your cup of tea, this movie would probably be ranked number one on your list because there's a lot of it. Ty's a married man and I have a beautiful girlfriend, so maybe that's all we can comment on it. Well, as a, as a happily married man, I mean, I didn't even notice the nudity. Oh, of I... course not, yeah. And for me, I just fast forward. You're, you're right. It's a very explicit movie. It really takes the Friday the 13th concept and just elevates it. Like, the kills are super energetic. They're super gory. It, it's and they're so... different. Like, he they're tortures so people in this movie and he keeps people captive in this movie so, so jason he runs in this movie and he he, he's he's a backwoods survivalist he's yes. you know he maybe he's mentally handicapped but he's not your part three part four jason Voorhees. not this at is all. a guy that knows what he's doing 
the beginning of this movie, it almost feels like two movies in one. Well, the uh, title card, it takes 25 minutes for the uh, title card to uh, come into this movie But I've always in a 91-minute lo- movie. But I've always loved those first 25 minutes. Oh, because... it's great. I mean, and I agree with you 100%. This movie is definitely split up into two. Like, you have one group of friends, and there, there's one person left living, and then the second group is pretty much that group looking for the uh, survivor and the first 25 minutes jason's appearance although derek mirrors as jason is very big and athletic but he's wearing a burlap sack which to me is an obvious ode to part two a movie that you and i both really appreciate something funny too when we're talking about odes uh, if you go into the hallway scene you can see a wheelchair and the sweater and the wheelchair is homage to part two with the famous kill and the sweater obviously with his mother But yeah, let's get into Derek Mears. Who is scarier, Derek Mears or Kane Hodder? Derek Mears, in my opinion, and we love Kane Hodder. But Derek Mears, man, I mean, just the way he runs at you. uh, He's so muscular but athletic at the same time. Like, if I could be locked in a room with, you know, part seven Jason or Derek Mears Jason, I I don't want to pick either one, obviously, but uh, Derek Mears would have me running for the hills a lot faster, I feel like. The characters in this movie, from a Friday the 13th standpoint, which is a franchise that's known for just creating characters meant to die, these characters are meant to die, but they're also created with a lot of care, too. Like Clay, who's played by Jared Padlecki. You get mm-hmm. Jenna, the final girl, who's played by Daniel Panabaker. But then even some of the side characters, like Chewie and Lawrence, like these are all great characters that you don't want to die, right. even though you know they're gonna. And um, even the uh, characters in the first 25 minutes of the movie, like, they're, you know, they're nothing special, but they're not just idiots, you know? Like, they're kind of funny because they're looking for weed, you know? Like, they just want to make a quick buck. I love the opening kill where the guy finally finds the weed plant that he's been looking for, and it's it's a terrifying kill. scary, yeah. Right. It's very real. Runs at him, too. Like, and that's when you first... Yeah, and, like, when you see that kill, like, that's when you know that you're going to have a different Jason. And then there's the sleeping bag kill where he ties up the girl in the sleeping bag and basically burns her to death over the campfire. Which Jason has never done in any of his movies. So, like, you can just... You get it right in the first ten minutes of, of this movie that, like, what kind of Jason you, that you're going to get and what kind of movie you're getting. It's a brutal movie, man. It's a brutal movie. And I just think, if, you know, if you like... Sla- if you like a fast paced slasher movie it's definitely one of the most fast-paced movies out of all these 51 going back to the first act the first 25 minutes whitney really feels like the final girl you're convinced right that she's the final girl and then they give this swerve and i understand why maybe that doesn't work for some people maybe it dragged on for too long but i think that works perfectly for us i'm totally okay with that and you know daniel panabaker dying in the third act what came as a surprise to me. I actually didn't see that coming. There's also a really cool subplot of Jared Padlecki's character named Clay trying to find his sister, who, again, went lost in that first 25 minutes. How often in a Friday the 13th movie do you have that interesting a subplot? Oh, you don't get it at all. It's just all about Jason going into a camp and just killing some horny teenagers. And yeah, of course, you still get like the horny teenagers in this movie. But you get a lot of good side characters and a lot of good side story with this movie as well, on yeah. top of great kills. Great kills, great characters. I mean, I know Trent is there, but he is... Like but you a, have to have a, have a character like him. You have to have the and uh, also snobby they, douchebag. And also the self-awareness. So they have fun with him. 
Like there's a point toward the end where he screams like a girl. You know, right. They know. They know <laughs> when, he, uh, the, when the body's thrown onto yeah. the cop car that he that he's in. They obviously know he's a d bag, but they know that we know he's a d bag. And the other characters know that you know that um, it's his daddy's house, so we can't break anything. Yeah, you know, it's funny. This is such a good Friday Thirteenth remake. Hats off to Marcus Nispel for making this. We'll talk more about Marcus Nispel. We're obviously big fans. There's more to come on that in our next range, I believe. But that's it for now. We ranked the number 30 through number 21 rankings of the six major franchises. And just to recap, number 30 was Texas Chainsaw Massacre The Beginning, which is the prequel to the 03 remake. Number 29 was Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Number 28 was Friday the 13th Part 3. Number 27 was Child's Play 3. 26 was Bride of Chucky. 25 was Freddy vs. Jason. 24 was A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. 23 was the 2019 Child's Play remake. 22 was Scream 4, Wes Craven's final film. And 21 was the 2009 Friday the 13th remake. Mike, these, for, I mean, for me, man, these were easily the hardest movies to rank. Me and you were back and forth all week about these rankings, um, and honestly, we can wake up tomorrow morning and have completely different rankings. Man, a lot of these movies were interchangeable. A few of them could probably even crack our top 20 if you ask us a year from now or right. even half a year from now. But look, I mean, to be frank, we like all of these movies, some of more course. than others. But this range really cracked a new tier. It these, definitely did. I don't think these are guilty pleasures. I actually just think these There's are all movies. These are just all really good slasher movies. Of course, and they give you everything you want with good kills. They're well made, with good characters. Don't forget, bonus episode comes out a week from today, August twelfth, and then the week after that will be films twenty to eleven. That's August nineteenth. So we have a lot coming your way. Find us on Twitter, Corn Syrup Pod. Email us at cornsyruphorror at gmail.com. Thanks so much, guys. We appreciate you, and we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>